Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family. Welcome to episode eight of season five of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are talking with Dr. Lisha Antica about sexual assault and healing from it in ways that we haven't talked on the podcast before. It is a worthwhile conversation for anybody who is healing or knows somebody who is healing from sexual assault in their life. Take care and be well. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Dr. Lisha Antica is a CSA and relationship healer, mentor, and transpersonal psychologist. She has spent the last 20 years ensuring that victims become survivors and has learned that trauma lives in multiple layers of her clients' realities. She has learned to end the cycle of abuse and help her clients reclaim their identity as their key. She works with women and some men ready to move beyond surviving and learn to live again. You can reach her at lishaantica.com. That's L-I-S-H-A-A-N-T-I-Q-U-A.com. Hey, Anna. Hey, Christina. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited because we have Dr. Lisha Antica on the show today. She has her PhD in transpersonal psychology, and she's here to talk about a very important topic, which is trauma healing, but in a specific genre, which is sexual abuse. So I think that this is going to be a really important episode for any survivors or friends and loved ones of survivors, which then includes almost everybody. So. Thank you for being here, Dr. Lisha. You are so welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, the show, having me, everybody listening. This is a tough topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but it's one that is a festering wound in our society across the board. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I am really, really honored to be here and to be so specifically talking about this particular trauma, I've spent my lifetime, 25 educational years, really diving deep to help people heal from this wound. And it's an honor to be able to talk about it in the way that we're about to. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So to start with, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this topic? 
Yeah, so I was born into it, unfortunately. It was something that um, was just part part of my family, not to the extent of some of my clients. I've, over the years, had perspective that in some ways I had it good, right? So we're not comparing or anything. But um, my abuse started at 18 months old and continued from there. At 13, I turned in my stepdad and we began prosecuting him. And uh, my mother was very forward in, in getting help and healing. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, so there was a lot of alternative feelings and and more open communication and and a lot of resources that we had. And, um, you know, my mother also endured the abuse. So if it was just about me, I don't know how deep we would have gotten. But after I turned in my father, she quickly had memories of all of her abuse. And so she began to get help. And that help then helped me. And I'm in healing. I wanted to be a rock star. I did. Um, I do have an album coming out. I sang jazz for many years. And then I got married and had had kids and did the whole narcissistic relationship thing that many survivors do. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it was better than mine. My kids were not abused in the same way I was. And then when that ended about 10 years ago, I knew that there was something else I needed to do with my school and my bachelor's was in psychology. And I had been speaking out on rain and talk and everything and had all this going already as a coach. And what I learned through coaching is I needed to learn how to treat trauma that ended up in my master's and my, my bachelor's over the last eight years or my PhD over the last eight years. Wow. Wow. That's quite the journey. And obviously there's probably a lot more to it. And I know we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to go into details and in a lot of the questions to kind of obviously hear more about that in your education. Yeah. So, I figured I'd expand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the kind of first questions that we had was, you know, in what communities and cultures are, do you find that in your work that, that sexual assault is more prevalent? Human yeah. When That's... I thought about this question, I was mm -hmm. like, it's humanity, right? Some of the most elite, elite groups of people in the world are known for child trafficking and ritual abuse. Some of the most wealthy communities are known for that. Some of the most religious communities are known, known for that. Um, I personally was raised Catholic. I wasn't abused in the Catholic church, but my abusers were all abused in the Catholic church. And in schools, and we like to say, "Oh, it's the poor and the meek and everything," but not, not necessarily. And we like to say, "Oh, it's the people that their parents weren't paying attention," but not necessarily. This is one out of four girls, people under eighteen, of women in the U.S., and the numbers are pretty much the same in most cultures, not all cultures, but European cultures, Canada, pretty similar. And I don't know too much in all honesty about what happens in the Middle East, but I know that they're getting married at 12, 13. 
now in a lot of those cultures and and so i think it's i think it's just a human issue for the us it's one in six boys one in six boys so that's on average then let's put them together one in five just logically one in five people in a room were molested before the age of 18. That's a cult cultural epidemic across the board. Yeah. Do you have any, it's a big question, but do you have any insight as to why? Or do we, we don't even because have to. Because we're not like, allowed to speak about it. Because we're not allowed right? to speak about it. Yeah. We're not allowed to speak about it. We're not allowed to speak about the impact of it. We're allowed now to speak about you know, domestic violence and beatings and other kinds of trauma that happen in the home. And because we have the freedom to talk about it, it's becoming less. Right? The, the, just, the judicial system is, is stepping up, right? But when it comes to grooming and, and sex and sexuality, it's still a topic just like money that we all have every single day. We all use all the time that we're not allowed to speak on. I mean, that's my opinion, of course, but that's really what I feel is the issue. I think it's more radio shows, podcasts. Thank God there was TikTok, right? Came out and actually spoke about it, not only as advocates, but also the possibility of healing from it. We would, we would be living in a much different culture. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you notice a difference in terms of destructive behaviors or triggers or difficulty in healing between someone who was abused sexually in their childhood years versus as an adult? Do you see a big difference and, and what differences do you see? Yeah, absolutely. One, I know that on your show, you guys talked a lot about this, but we're forming, our brains are forming, our subconscious is forming, our nervous system is forming. Our habits and patterns are forming, your belief systems forming, and as children. So if you're raised in an environment where you didn't matter, your opinions didn't matter, your body didn't matter, you were used, you were an object, whether it was meant to do all the chores and take care of your brothers and sisters, or as a sexual object, and that was your job, that was your cord, that becomes your identity, which um, we'll talk about the identity code and the amazing you identity code and, and how I've helped my clients, my patients differently than normal trauma therapy because of the complex issue that sexuality and sex has within our identity. But as a child, those are all forming. Now, if they're forms and you have a sense of identity, you have a sense of, of self, you have a sense of your own sexuality even by being um, raped or hurt as an adult, first time around, there is going to be, um, you're gonna heal faster. I think the process of healing is similar. If you don't deal with it, you're gonna have a lot of the same symptoms, right? Symptoms that some people um, claim to be a mental disorder, but I totally disagree with that. I think that it's a mental injury and just like a physical injury, we can heal mental injuries. And, but we attach to any identity. So if your identity is, I am mentally handicapped, your identity is, I am a survivor. If your identity is whatever your identity is, and you didn't have the chance to create that identity, 
and childhood to go back to, then you're going to continue to create your own story. It's like everybody else's, but your story is going to be one that struggles and is in abuse. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I think I tried to touch both. But yeah, I no, I out. think, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like, does it, how, to what degree does it define you? You know, yeah. and when you're a child, it would define you so much more because you are, haven't yet fully defined yourself yet. Yeah. One thing that I always say is you can't cure normal, but normal is not always healthy. Yeah. So if normal is coming home and knowing that the first thing that you have to do is like be abused or coming home and always having that anxiety. Yeah. That becomes your normal as a kid. Okay. And so when you find a relationship later on in life and you're coming home and you're feeling this anxiety because you might get hurt, beat or told what to do, that's normal. You don't know a way out because you don't know any different. Right. We know what we know and then we know what we don't know. And then we know that we don't know that we don't know something eventually. Right. And then right. we crave the familiar as adults. And we so. crave the familiar, whether it's healthy or not, whether, whether it's going to kill you or not, it feels good. I was asked by, a, I'm dating right now. And I was asked by a person like, oh, did I give you butterflies? And I was like, if you gave me butterflies, like I'm out, right? I'm out so far, even though I've had a couple great relationships, like my normal, like my subconscious normal, I still get to witness as not ex like I need more than just my butterflies, more than just my excitement, more than just my body on board to make sure I'm having a healthy relationship. Yeah. And speaking of bodies, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is how sexual abuse seems to sit in this in-between space between emotional physical like it affects so many kind of touches so many different things and let's talk about that yeah <laughs> please <laughs> yeah so yeah trauma is any time that you cannot cope with you don't have the coping skills or the mechanisms in order to get through it right? So we can have, it can seem tiny to somebody and huge to somebody else, depending on their coping skills. As children, we don't really have coping skills. We can't get in our car and drive away. We can't tell somebody to bug off, right? We, even at school or something, we have to go through other means. We have to go to the recess attendant. We have to go to our parents to talk to the school board, right? We have to go to something to talk to our parents, right? There's, there's very little coping skills. Then we don't have physical well-being because we're fed, we're, we're clothed, right? We can't go out and feed ourselves or close ourselves as a child. We don't know what to think. We're literally absorbing. Our brains are absorbing till the age of 28, what to think, how to think. Every culture is different. Every religion is different. Every household is different. Okay. And we're absorbing how to be a human being or how to be a human doing. And then emotionally, if your parents are emotionally intact and you're allowed to have your feelings, awesome. If you're told how you feel all the time, you might grow up and never know how you feel. All you, you know how everybody else feels. You can read a room, but you don't know how you feel. Right? 
and you don't have the coping skills to do that. And then you have an electromagnetic field. You know, this is a spiritual fix. And the spiritual fix is, is truly the fastest fix. But if your electromagnetic field is everybody else and what everybody else is thinking and what everybody else is doing and, and just wanting to belong in, in society, fit in, look the right way, feel the right way, dress the right way, be the right way so you're safe, you're in survival mode, then you don't have the coping skills to know yourself. So trauma is any time that a coping skill isn't used. As children, we have very little coping skills, need to learn coping skills, and as adults, we might have more coping skills unless we're toxically empathic or toxically narcissistic. Either or, okay? So that said, I've been studying consciousness. First class I took around consciousness, I was probably seven. My mother's loved it. She's been obsessed with it. I've been in rooms with Carolyn Mace and Neil and Donald Walsh, like as a teenager, before they were even then, the Silva method, all of it was mine's true in Colorado. And I got to be there 13, 14, 15. My mother would drag me to these things. I had no idea what I was learning at the time or what I was sinking in at the time, but it got me into this awareness of knowing that we are so much more than physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So yes, sexual abuse is physical it's sex it is mental it's it's a mental game I mean I don't know if you guys have ever had sex before but if you have and you get in your head it's very hard to enjoy and finish right and so yeah it's friggin' mental your brain can ruin a moment for you even a beautiful wonderful moment where you're like yes right um it's emotional it's emotional. And so safety, security, feeling happy, joy, pleasure, right? And if sex was taken away from you, many of my clients, their biggest issues are choice and pleasure. They block choice and pleasure, which in the reality creation world, near magnetic field world, continues to create what you don't want because choice and pleasure are not allowed if you've been groomed in that way and then you have your own electromagnetic field now that in part we take out into the world and we we have relationship now if your relationship is whatever you know christina wants whatever anna wants and i'm up here and i'm gonna i'm gonna show up exactly how they want me to show up blah 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 and i don't know you and you have the right to change your mind and you have the right to be different, then I'm going to fail 100% of the time, right? I show up like me, that's a good thing. But most people that have gone through abuse, most people in the world, actually, we're not taught how to individualize ourselves. We're actually, it's demonized. And then it's in religion, we're like, oh, just give, give, give. Well, you have nothing to give if you don't know you. And if you've been raised and groomed to be an object, to be a thing, then, then you are. That's what you believe you are. And so you go out to try to serve and it's for them. Yes, you're selfless, but there's no self to give. Does that make sense? And then what's your worth? Your worth is what you can give. Your worth is your body. Your worth is your time. And 
and you will attract people that will use and abuse you because that's what's normal. We're attracting our normal. We're accepting our normal. And so then your worth is less and less and less. So then poverty sinks in and poverty becomes an issue and survival becomes an issue. So sex is all of that. We have sex. I don't know if you've been a woman long, if you're listening, but we're all three women here. And in most cultures, and especially in old, a man would, a, you know, a woman's family would basically barter with, with another family to take care of their object, their daughter in marriage. And then our job was to produce an heir. Now this was kings, queens, and this was pipers, right? This was like everybody in between. This is the whole cultural thing that we're here to produce. We're producers. And this is cultural. This is not even for people that were SA or SA. This is just how women are perceived culturally, historically. It's better the last 50, 100 years. Yes, right? We're getting there, thank God. But this is the culture that we're still healing from. This is the collective energy that we're still healing from. And men, not too different, right? One, they didn't take it, have to take any responsibility because, I don't know, genetics didn't know that they are the ones that actually choose the sex of the child, not the woman carrying it. <laughs> and, and, but they didn't know that or they didn't take that responsibility. So, but they were still forced into these agreements right? And, and then I think personally, the biggest and hidden, most hidden essay is um, circumcision. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you on that one. Well, not all of them, but definitely that. There's so much. Oh. Yeah, there can be a lot of trauma associated with that. So yeah, so it it you have four wheels. We have our souls and we have four wheels. This is what I've studied. This is what I do. I seed souls in my clients. That's why my stuff is effective and I have to get new clients each year. So they graduate, they actually heal. <laughs> and why I got my PhD is so I could fight the system. Because the system's a little broken right now. But you have a soul and your soul has a body to take care of, a mind to learn how to think, you think separately, emotions to learn how to run, and electromagnetic fields to create the life, co-create the life that you desire, or repeat the one that you've always known. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about gray rape, which I feel like isn't talked about a lot, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of what it is and that they might have experienced it. Yeah, I think most people have. And it's, you know, gray rape or coercion rape is, is when you don't really feel like it, you don't really want to. And that's not like, oh, well, you can talk me into it. Like, I don't really feel like it tonight. And then your husband rubs your toes and your back or your, your wife or whatever, right? Your partner. And and then you're like, mm, maybe, right? And then you're like, oh, you know, it's not that that warm up, like that can happen. But what it is, is when you really don't want to, and they're like, oh, then, you know, they're rubbing your feet and like, but I'm rubbing your feet. So now you have to kind of feeling. It is a feeling of shame and guilt around it. 
for survivors of sexual abuse, this is pretty much normal. This is normal and it's acceptable. And so to learn how to freely give your sensuality, your sexuality, I have a whole treatment plan called Reclaim Intimacy, where you literally learn how to reclaim pleasure, reclaim intimacy. What do you like? Because you were never given that as a child when you're being groomed. And as adults, we're not really, we don't talk about sex, right? It's, it's, we're not, we're all just supposed to know how to do it, number one, and be great at it. And then we have, we have porn that shows us what supposedly it's supposed to be like, or, or TV shows, and none of that's true. So I like Fry's consent as much as I disagree with some of the things with Planned Parenthood. I like, I like that they created the Fry's consent, which is you are freely giving consent. Like you, you want it right at any moment in the act, it's reversible without you fearing, um, judgment, without you fearing rejection, without you fearing punishment of some sort, without you fearing abandonment. And, and that means deep conversations with your partner about that. It's going to come up, especially if you've been abused, learning how to have those conversations about it being reversible, about your fear. I still have fear. I have fear going out with people and being like, do I not, you know, they come in for the kiss and I'm like, not quite sure, right? And, or, yeah, so it's, it's okay to have this fear. It's normal to have this fear if you're raised in SA. It's like, how do you walk through it so you can have the reversible? Many, many survivors of SA, they don't know how to have it be reversible without having to walk through their own emotions. So knowing your own emotional intelligence is really important there. Um, informed. So you know that the person has um, had their checkup, right? If it's a new sexual encounter, or you know if you have an open relationship, that nobody's cheating. There's so many different relationships now. If somebody wants to go and cheat, like just have a conversation. If it's not okay with one of the parties, then it's not okay. If it is, then everyone can have that open relationship and it's more accessible in today's society. So that's informed. Um, enthusiastic or, or passionate or a, a yes, right? You want this yes energy behind the sexual encounter on the sexuality and this i think goes for anything out because we have sexual harassment too and i think where we don't really recognize where it's gray is say that you're out at a bar or something and somebody says something to you i think why are we saying inappropriate things to people that we don't know why are we saying derogatory sexual comments to people that we don't know why are we sending dick pics to people that we don't know and um, that all is, you don't know that the other person is enthusiastic. You don't know that the other person wants that, right? So learning how to recognize your own enthusiasm and recognize other people's enthusiasm and, and that respect is really important because the last one of Fry's is specific. So specific is like, it's this specific act. It's this specific come on, it's this specific conversation, it's this specific relationship, right? And it doesn't cross over from one relationship or one time to the next time, it's just specific to that moment in time. And so often we're either 
future projecting or past projecting, it's hard for a lot of people to be in the present moment. So that's another thing that um, when I work with my private clients, if we work on just being in the present moment as comfortable or uncomfortable as it is. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me when you're, when you're speaking about this too, is that, I, you know, you spoke about grooming and it, I really got the impression that it's like, everybody's groomed, even if they're not specifically groomed, like the, the rape, the kind of the culture that we have automatically kind of grooms. And I was curious, you know, in that we each have our individual electromagnetic field, electromagnetic field. And when we're healing from this trauma, do you notice like kind of the collective, like the experience that the, the collective has on healing this, you know, out of curiosity? Yes. So there's different stages. So here's, here's the really, here's a really um, cool way to look at it. So first you recognize the trauma. Okay. And then you get to accept it. Step one, accept it happened. Step two is looking at the different layers. So for me, I spent a couple months with my clients focusing on each layer. Okay? So focusing on their body, their mind, their emotions, their electromagnetic field. And in that process, you'll notice the habits that are hurting your body and you'll want to change them, but it'll be super, super hard to change them, right? Because you have this belief system about it and it's been your habit forever. And so it's all this effort. Then you'll have these thoughts and these beliefs and you'll start reprogramming your subconscious mind. If you're working with somebody that does that, or you'll find it on YouTube or you'll do EFT tapping or, or, um, or NLP or just talking about it. Cognitive behavioral therapy works too. EMDR works too. You'll start working, you'll start working your brain. You'll start lifting up the pieces. Now, if you're not putting back identity, if you're not choosing, if you're not teaching your clients to choose, which most survivors of abuse do not know how to choose and they're terrified to choose because if they choose wrong, they're gonna get in trouble because of their electromagnetic field, but also because that's what happened in their family. And they're, and they're terrified to, to heal. Okay. And then, and then you have the emotions that go along with it and the stories of the emotions and your own emotional intelligence. Now I love DBT, but I um, teach a deeper version using wisdom from David Hawking, Dr. David Hawking and, and his emotional intelligence and Chris Parker and his emotional intelligence. And, and I put together my own program because everybody's emotions are different and we all have a different baseline of emotions. So figuring out your own baseline of emotions, where you kind of flip to is going to help shift the brain, shift the body. So you do things that you enjoy more, but as soon as you accept that it's happening, as soon as you start changing it, you're going to get sets of limitations and that's the electromagnetic field. So the first thing that's going to happen is um, you are going to get tested. Are you going to do something different? Are you going to do something? Are you going to set that boundary this time? Are you not going to go to that? Are you going to listen to your gut this time? Are you going to still um, fawn this person? Are you going to still get angry and throw this fit? Like, are you going to do something different? And the first couple of times, you might not do something different. Okay. Your nervous system, your old habits might take over and do something when you have this test of limitations. But those tests of limitations, if you ignore them, they get louder and louder and louder. So your life gets worse just like a wound festers and, and pusses first, right? 
as, as you clean it out, the infection is leaving. So it will show up in your field and, and it will seem like it's worse. And you can either agree with it or you can eventually train the brain or have a good therapist, have a good support system that's going to remind you that no, this is part of the game. This is part of shifting that electromagnetic. This was the normal and now we're shifting the normal. I see that that was norm normal and dissolve, resolve, transform, transmute, and transcend. That's what I... Um, what was B on my arm. What was BP BPV? I think you said. Um, DBT. It oh, is DBT. DBT. Yeah, it is um dialectical behavioral technique. It is an emotional intelligence technique that we use for a lot of people with B BBT, <laughs> borderline personality disorder. Okay, and um also CBT or CPTSD. Excuse me. That is, those are two really common disorders along with anxiety and depression and eating disorders and sexual disorders and relationship issues and toxic empaths and narcissism that are very, very common for survivors of sexual abuse to be diagnosed with mm -hmm. before they heal their trauma. I think we all know what a toxic narcissist looks like. Could you tell us a little bit what a toxic empath looks like? Yeah pretty much the opposite, but the same as a toxic um, thing. So empaths were very sensitive to the external world where people were more inclined to be hypervigilant, were more inclined to be um, healers, were more inclined to be very much on our cross, right? The, the survivors, the victims. And so toxic empath is, I can save you and I will save the world and I will suffer to save the world. A toxic empath this. I know how you feel better than you know how you feel. So you're wrong. Very, 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 very dangerous people. They, um, and I say that with love as a healing toxic empath <laughs> or healing. Like I have to be aware of myself. Um, they, they think that they're not thinking about themselves because they, are thinking about everybody else, but the changes that they're wanting to make is internal. So it's the opposite of the narcissist. The narcissist thinks they're not, thinks that they're thinking about everybody else, but they're really only thinking about themselves because the changes they wanna make are all external. So narcissist wants to move the pawns out here. You are their property. The toxic empath um, is changing all the stuff internally. So they'll tell you nothing matters in this world. There's no, there's no evil. You know, everything is good. They're super, usually super, really, really, really spiritual, right? They're above it all. It's all internal. It's all this. There's, they think it's all about community, but it's only about them, but their focus, their hypervigilance is on the outside world. And they're going to change the outside world by changing themselves. It's self-sacrificial. That makes sense. That's I am also a recovering toxic empath. Yeah, it's fascinating. Based on your description. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So we need each other, right? And the narcissist actually is teaching the toxic empath how to be more narcissistic. And the toxic empath is teaching the narcissist how to be more empathic, right? And when we come together and we're walking this streamline in the middle, that the empath can set boundaries can speak up for themselves they do know what they want but they they 
they know what the other person feels outside. They still have that empathy within them, but they also have an awareness that it's not their responsibility to change in order to please that person. They have boundaries. They, they know who they are. And the empath or the toxic narcissist when healed can still set boundaries, has really good all this, but they are learning how to think about, well, what does this, how does my words affect the other person? How do I need to take responsibility for myself? That, and also it's not my responsibility to force them, control them to do something that I want them to do. And then learning how to deal with the emotions that they need to regulate on both sides and all of that stuff. Can I go back real quick to um, what you were saying about healing? sexual abuse. I, I, I wrote notes and I just want to like, make sure kind of understood. Mm-hmm. Um, number one is you accept, like you, you get out of the den- denial phase and you accept that what you experienced was in fact, uh, rape or sexual assault or grooming or, or grooming. molestation or harassment or objective. Yeah. All Object. sorts of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two, you tease out the layers. And by this, you mean just understanding more like the motivation of the abuser or you mean what 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 do you do you mean by your like the layers you are never ever going to understand the motivation of the abuser okay but it will keep you in therapy for 20 15 20 years many of my clients have been in therapy dealing with the why for 20 to 15 years it is great for our system it's great to make money for the therapist it is job security for for sure in school, we're actually taught not to talk about sexual abuse. That's what I learned. Don't talk about it. If the client brings it up, awesome. If your patient brings it up, fantastic. Let them talk about it, which is a lot of times re-traumatizing to your brain because your brain does not know the difference between now and later. But we were literally taught not to talk about it. That's pretty much the extent. There is me and maybe four other doctorates that I've ever found in 10 years of research four other people, three other people, and me, one specifically, that have actually studied healing the effects of sexual abuse. Wow. And when it's so prevalent too, like that's nuts. Yeah. One other, one other treatment plan out there. And I haven't read her her treatment plan. I've read many of her studies. I've read many of the boards of her PhDs and her studies and everything. Just amazing. Wendy Maltz, Dr. Wendy Maltz is her name. She's incredible. I haven't read her treatment plan because I didn't want to copy her treatment plan because I had, that's what I do is I write my own treatment plans. And that was part of my dissertation. And I keep waiting to go this year now that I'm done and mine's out there and it's being published to like go and actually read her book. Yeah. But, but I haven't, her work has been tremendous on me. There's been a lot of studies done on the effects of childhood abuse, the symptoms that come from childhood abuse, many studies done on that but very few on how to actually heal from it. And, and they say to treat the trauma, treat the mental trauma, treat the emotional trauma, right? But they don't, they take things out. They open up the wound, like DBT opens up the wound. But then if you don't put anything else back in the wound, you just have a gaping wound that's going to fester again because of the electromagnetic field that's going to bring your reality back to you. But in psychology, we don't teach about spirituality, electromagnetic field and science, right? Like anyway. Ah, yep that's why I got my PhD I can go on about that for a long time sorry I'll get off my yeah high horse 
Okay. So you do the acceptance, the layers, and then reprogramming your beliefs about your identity. And the number four is processing out the emotions. Did I miss anything? I do it in a little different, a no. little different area, but that's, that's I might've mi- misunderstood yeah. you. So yeah. 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 No, you didn't misunderstand me. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Okay, so my next question is more of a practical question. As the holidays approach, there are people who cannot do NC, which is uh, social media, No no contact, right? Cut ties completely, no contact. There's a lot of communities, a lot of families, and just a lot of situations where you are not going to be able to have NC with your abuser. You might have to interact with them this holiday season. So in those situations, do you have any advice for these people? as far away as you possibly can here's the thing when it's in-house abuse and you have a mom or a dad or siblings or anybody that is siding with the abuser it is it is on all those layers now you can't just heal it mentally you can't just get away from them physically you can't just heal it emotionally you can't just brush it on the under the rug there's there's nothing so there's two different levels if you're no contact is they're denying it or they're defending your abuser and you're trying to heal, don't go. Find friends to go spend the holidays with. I know it will suck. I know it hurts. I know it's hell. Don't go. Now, if your family is talking about it, I'm very blessed. My entire family talks about it. Everybody talked about it. Now, we might've been hush-hush about it. I might have been more vocal with everybody else. But my family, everybody started talking about it. And so even in holidays, if it was brought up, like we're going to call it as it is. We're going to call the abuser as it is. Even though we were all at their funerals and we were all there, like we were all loving them still. But even the abusers talked about it. My whole family on both sides talk about it. So that's happening. That's a process. And I think that you can go and deal with it. Are your triggers still going to be brought up? Yes. But one thing that really helped me with my my stepfather, my adoptive father, is the moment he went in the nursing home and then passed away, I was able to say, look, dad, this is what I'm freaking feeling right now. Right? I'm fucking pissed off at you today for, for what you did when I was 11, what you did when I was six. Well, I didn't know when I was six, when I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, right? I'm mad about that. And we would conversate about it. I wrote letters to my previous abusers. I've called my abusers, right? And I didn't let them not talk about it. That didn't mean I went and ruined a holiday event and brought it up and made myself a center of attention. Maybe when I was younger. <laughs> I was a toxic empath like that, right? I wanted the healing so much. But in those cases, if you're at that point and you're healing, it's just time to not be there. It's just It's really time to find another family and go no contact. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We, uh, are doing a growing up series this season because we've done a lot of shadow work and we've done a lot of trauma healing in all the past. And I feel like in a lot of ways for me, when I've come in my shadow work journey, I was like, okay, I'm actually ready to the point where I'm ready to like move just past healing to what I would call like really growing up and finding that autonomy. So, you know, with that context of kind of what we've been talking about with our listeners, like what could that look like for someone who's experienced SA? Choice. 
it, it begins with choice and then choosing who you want to be in your six personal power zones. So I have a free mini program online that I teach master classes in each of your power zones, call them the six personal power zones, uh, that have to be healed in order to really reclaim your identity and heal from trauma. All childhood trauma, doesn't matter if it's essay or not, but all childhood trauma. And then relationship trauma, if you get into that narcissistic or DV abuse stuff later in life, right? And you, you get to heal these layers that the trauma lives in. And you do that by choice. One thing that traditional therapy does that I really disagree with is they talk about and talk about and talk about this. A lot of my clients are come in very addicted to self-help, very addicted to the shadow work. And I love shadow work. I do it every morning on TikTok for free in my healings. If you've been in, dropped in. The thing is about shadow work is a lot of shadow work people, a lot of even shamans, we don't bring in what we want to fill the fill the cup with. We see the shadow and it feels fulfilling. It's a dopamine hit. When you find when you find like a deep core, like nasty thing and you're like, oh look at me pulling off this nasty weed. Yeah. Right. We can get off on it, especially as healers, especially as spiritual, especially as toxic empaths. It makes us feel so important and so wonderful and so good. The thing is, is that seed that you just pulled out, right? That seed, it can come in through the back door and come right back into your electromagnetic field and, and deposit again. And you think that you redid it, but then you healed it, right? And then it comes up again and then you're beating yourself up and you're pulling yourself down. You're feeling bad because you have to do the shadow work again. But it only did that because we didn't practice choosing what you wanted in its place. So I do not do any shadow work without immediately pulling in what they want. And it's much more powerful in private setting and everybody's different working with my clients to help them choose who they want to be, right? What kind of body do you want to live in? What kind of thoughts do you want to have? What kind of emotions do you want to lean into? What's going to feed you, right? Absolutely. Who do you want to hang out with? What do you want your world to look like? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's usually, I feel like that's usually with a lot of the people that I work with as well. It's a very good indicator of kind of where they are is like, if they're wanting, if they don't know what they like and they don't even know what they're trying to get to, it's like, you got, you got to fill that with something and, and, and that's part of it. And it's not I mean, now I think of it as like, oh, that's so amazing. You could find what you like, but when you're coming from a position where you've you know, you're either still have unhealed trauma or you've just healed your trauma. It's really hard to figure that out and feel like it's even safe to figure out what you like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost impossible. So that's why I take it slow. That's where there's private therapy, right? And, mm. and, and we take it slow and we figure that out, but it's not done after the trauma. Because when you do the shadow, in my opinion, I have a strong opinion here, but in my opinion, when you do the trauma work and the shadow work, and don't add in that protective gauze, right? And the antibiotic cream and, or the cast yeah. over that, then all you're doing is opening up for more of the same to come in. And when you start living with your purpose, I did this, I did this for years. My purpose was just to heal, right? I healed from the cancer. Oh, I'm badass. I healed from the mental disorder and I'm not killing myself. Yeah, I'm so cool. I healed from the, the anger and rage bit. Woohoo, 
yay, I'm regulated, right? Then I, I healed from poverty. Woohoo, look at me, right? And, and then it circled back around again. Right? Circle back around again. And, yep. and I just loved healing. So my mind would find more things for me to survive, find more things for me to heal, survive more things for me to do. And I was on this cycle, cycle, cycle of abuse is what I call it. Hashtag in the cycle of abuse. Hashtag in the cycle of abuse is the only hashtag that's in all of my <laughs> because it is true like though but the only way out of that is to start practicing and so are you eating are you drinking water are you moving your body we start with daily habits and i have a group called she or one called him where i wrote out it took me years to write out 365 habits and i worked with a male friend of mine to do them for the men for him to send to people 10 minute life hacks to send to people each day in an email, like just do this. And they balance out your six personal power zones and move on, but you can't think of what you like. So it also helps them learn what they like. Hmm, curious. No, I didn't like that at all. And it's okay not to like something, right? And oh, I I do like this. But if you're stuck in trauma and all you've been all you've known is your biggest success in life has been to survive, you're gonna keep surviving. If all you've ever known is victimization especially if the spiritual world is coming in and saying, don't have victim mindset. Don't be a victim. If you are a fucking victim, do not tell a victim not to have victim mindset. It's not a fucking victim mindset. She, he is being victimized right now by that person, by that system. Boom. Right. So, but the spiritual community, you get all spiritual in it. You're going to come back and believe me, like I see souls, like I'm spiritual. I've written a book all in. One of my masters is the yoga sutras in the Bible, comparison study, studying consciousness. I literally compared it word for word. It took me 10 years. Right? So like, like, like this, like I get it, but that is so toxic for people that are actually being victimized. You got to recognize that. Then where are you doing the pity party and getting off that pity party makes you feel accomplished <laughs> and we can get stuck in there doing that that deep trauma work for years, I mean, decades, hundreds of thousands of dollars my clients have wasted in the cycle that keeps our system financially secure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That really addicted to healing is a, that's a, a nice little eye opener for me. I want to ask. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask, um, you know, gosh, you know, like the statistics are one in five people are abused. What are the statistics on how many abusers there are? Like, I assume they all have at least 10 victims. So instead of one in five, is it one in 50? You know, like, well, to lead into my question is, you know what? I have never looked, so I can't even say that I don't know. I don't think I ever looked even in my dissertation studies. Of like repeated. I, I feel like they're repeated offenders. I, I don't think it's like one in five people are abusers. Yeah. That's my, that's. So here's how it kind of works, especially with childhood survivors. Okay, that's what I know. One in five are, are abused, okay? A lot of the women that were abused, they might not necessarily abuse, but they go like this to the abuse. Okay, everyone listening, I just put my hands to my eyes and I put those filters on that you put on horses so you can't see, <laughs> and I turn my head. The... 
that's the perpetuation. They don't talk about it. They don't do anything about it. They don't know how to stand up. Some of the hardest conversations I've ever had are with boyfriends and stuff. When I just had a gut feeling and saying, don't you talk to my daughter? Like, how do you feel? And then having to go to my daughter and be like, how did they make you feel? And then going, okay, that was just a gut feeling, but at least I had that conversation with him so I can feel better about it. Or wow, they really overreacted to that. Right. And and yes, it happened. I can trust my gut feeling. <laughs> but having those conversations, no matter if it's right or wrong, are it, it's painful. Going to the cops and calling the cops, it's painful. Right? It's it's scary to do that, no matter who you are. So a lot of survivors of abuse, one, they don't see it as abuse. They marry back into the abuse. They have relationships with people in the abuse, their conception by rape, whatever it was. And they just turn their head. Oh, that's a lot of women. Not all. Some women are abusive. Most of the one in six boys that are abusive, they, I would say probably at least half because they're not, one, boys aren't allowed to talk about it. There's nothing they can do about it. And then we have the whole concept of cellular memory, body memory, infant memory, right? And just having the most delicate, sensitive part of your body cut off at eight, eight, eight days old pretending like they don't feel it. Babies feel, they feel in the womb, right? So then we have that beginning that many, many, many men experience with, with being circumcised, which is sexual abuse, you know? So we have this whole cultural thing. So yes, more men have a disconnect with their sexual power and their sexual pleasure and their sexual joy. And so they're more likely to be the abusers. We just need to talk about it. And then most children that are abused will, I would say, go and abuse other children. So we don't even talk about that. But for me, like, I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know it was wrong. It was, it was right in my house. It was taught to me in my house. Right? Now, I didn't have any siblings. And how I learned that it was wrong is uh, my mom's friend's little boy, who was just a few years younger than me, told his mom, eventually it had happened years prior to that, right? And we took a nap together, like years. She talked to me about it after my dad threw me through the stairs one day and they picked me up. I went through the front window and uh, she said something about it. She said that it was not appropriate Right. And I, that's how I learned that I was being abused. Now I didn't have the words abuse. I didn't know that it was wrong. I was probably in like fourth grade. It was probably happening even more. I might've been in fifth grade. It was ha probably happening even at a greater scale for me personally, but that was my first thing. And I would never have known, or I wouldn't have known for a lot longer. At least most teenagers find out that they're being abused by their father or mother because it's finally talked about and they have sexuality with their friends. But if your child is abused by a child, child on child sexual abuse, a brother, sister, cousin, good friend, that child that did the abuse, 99% is, is being abused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Statistically, I can't answer that question. I'd have right. to go and do research on it but that I don't think it's even talked about. Well, yeah, I get my question treated. was, 
They're not treated. The abusers aren't treated. They're not even prosecuted. It's victim blaming, victim dealing, victim healing. It's, it's not, nobody mm -hmm. even treats. We don't even hear about treating the perpetrator of sexual abuse. Oh yeah. I, we I don't even hear about it. I was trying to find when we were doing this stuff on the drama triangle, I was desperately trying to find a book for abusers, just a single book for abusers. A single book. Mm -mm. Doesn't There's exist. Not... Doesn't mm -mm. exist. Mm -mm. It's insane. It is. And I don't think there's any studies. I mean, I've read so many dissertations and so many studies, you know, being my PhD, like there's, I don't, I don't remember one. And now I'm like, shit, now I have another problem to solve. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> so if we had like a step-by-step a -step or like a top five ways to avoid your child becoming a, a victim, you know, for those parents of us, what would it be for, for how to prevent them from being a victim? Deal and then your how own deal with your own deal with your own deal with your own abuse okay and then the second one is how do we prevent children from becoming abusers because maybe i'm wrong but i feel like a lot of ab abuse in general and objectification of women comes from entitlement which is taught in society whether or not in your home you teach your children to be entitled i feel like a lot of and I, I might be totally wrong. Maybe it's a more of a sexual deviation, but I do believe abuse comes from entitlement. A lot of it. So objectification. Yeah. Yeah. Objectification and an entitlement, like children grow up, maybe seeing beer commercials and the man always gets the hot woman or whatever. I feel like there's this sense of like, just by virtue of being a man, you should be allowed to possess this hot woman or whatever. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? So like, when all this is happening on a social level, how can we in the home teach non-objectification and non-entitlement? To literally teach those two things and, and teach identity. Give your children an identity. My children both are very different. They both have their own feelings. They have their own processes. They have their own neuroses. They have their own habits. They have their own talents, their own skills. I have never once, which is a big issue for my ex-husband and me, I believe in not putting them in a box and letting them express who they are and figure out who they are and find their identity. Because that was something I was never allowed to do. I was supposed to go to church. I was supposed to do this. I needed to get straight A's. I had to look a certain way. I had to be a certain weight to qualify for love. I had to act a certain way. And at the same time, behind the scenes, I was being beat. I was being molested and I was being groomed. So when I did my dissertation, I came up with object identity disorder. And I wish the DSM-5, my goal for the DSM-6 to put it in as a disorder for sexually abused people specifically, or child abuse people. Since child abuse is not a mental injury, well, DSM-5, none of it's a mental injury. We talk about mental disease, but we don't talk about mental injury. And these are injuries. So a lot of times, like when I'm treating people with things that are considered cluster Bs, they, the, or bipolar, but it's not quite bipolar, or eating disorders, but it was formed from abuse. They come in, and anxiety and depression, of course, they come in and we then treat the injury, which was the trauma, the abuse, we treat the root cause, and then the symptoms, even the somatic symptoms, the cancers, the autoimmune diseases, all of that stuff, heal whether the right doctor comes in they get the right surgery they go away the economic 
struggles that a lot of survivors go survivors go through because we don't get to work that much because of the depression and the anxiety because of the autoimmune diseases. We, on average, make a million dollars less as survivors of childhood abuse than anybody that didn't go through direct childhood abuse. That is a statistic because of these symptoms. Once we treat those things, then all of that goes away because it was an injury. It's not a dis-ease. When we identify as the dis-ease, the survivor, the addict, the whatever, that's that's the problem. So to help your children, give, let them form an identity. Let them choose what they want to eat, how they want to treat their body. Ask them questions. Do you want to be healthy or unhealthy? Right? Teach them these things. Choose for yourself first and foremost. And then if your child says something to you, believe them and go and address it. Pull up your big girl panties or big boy panties and, and go and address it, have that hard conversation with the school teacher or the kids' parents, or don't be afraid of accusation. We need to shift accusation to curiosity, okay? Did you do this? And if somebody asks, go, no, I didn't. Wow, you felt that way. Oh, go and apologize to the kid. Go and take responsibility. And then let's treat perpetrators. The kid molests your kid, go and say, well, where did you learn that? Right. Dig. Exactly. Dig for the kids that don't have a voice but think it's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the interview, and I've learned so much. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thank you. Do you have, like, a, a take-home message or, or something that you kind of want to use in summary of everything that we've, we've learned here today? Because it's really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you are more than than what happened to you. You're more than your circumstances and you matter. That would be my takeaway. I have a free gift for anybody, like I said, to learn more about these six personal power zones. It's called Unstoppable Confidence. My website's lishaantiqua.com, L-I-S-H-A-A-N-T-I-Q-U-A.com. And you can also get my link tree in my bio on TikTok. You know, that's where we met. And and I'll also put a link in the show notes. So cool. And so so that's free for anybody that wants that. You get invited into a group. I do live master classes so you can come on and ask questions. If a specific power zone you want to learn, deep dive in. I have online courses and group coaching. And then I do private therapy with people. And around the identity code and around healing the effects of sexual abuse specifically in your relationship with sex and intimacy called reclaim intimacy. Awesome. So I would love everybody to get that. And then as I'm sitting here and we're talking about the habits and everything that you brought up, my daily habits, the she group and the him group for men and women that just want to bring themselves back into balance, want to just start living these habits, don't know what they like want to find things they're just daily emails just check if you're a boy or a girl if you are trans and you're listening to this just choose which you want to be and and pick pick which habits that you want one's about makeup and stuff and other things that are more girly and the other one's about more things that are more boy <laughs> okay so so pick yours there's not one that is mixed together because there were a lot of work to do but it is 
it's there. So I would like to give your community a month free, $33 free. They want to, they can cancel anytime. It's super, super easy. So when you do check out, when you register, it's going to be PSF 2023 is the code, the coupon code to get that month free. Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for giving that to our listeners. I I feel like I had a lot of great takeaways from listening to this episode and I will listen to it again and again, because we have certain episodes where the more I listen to it, I feel like more it saturates, but I really love what you said about it's not mental illness. It's a mental injury. And I, and I feel like that feels so good to hear. And I hope that other people can hear that and get that relief that I heard when you said that. And then I love what you say to follow the shadow work with a choice, because I think I really get in that loop of healing, healing, healing. And then you're like, but when does it ever end? And, and I just want to enjoy my life. And I think, you know, for us in the spiritual world or survivors of abuse in any form or trauma or essay or whatever, you know, we get addicted to the shadow work. And, um, I think so much of it and it feels good. It feels good because you're like, I figured that out. I just want another uh aha. Yeah. Right. I didn't react in that situation. Like I did before. Yeah. You're just stuck in survival and the survivals are less right. As you, as you heal, because you're like, Oh my, I don't want to stay sick forever. I don't want to stay mentally exhausted forever. I don't want to stay emotionally throwing fits all the time. Right. I'll just do the economics shit. Like it's easier. I'll just have a relationship issue over here and then we'll have a breakthrough. That'll be kind of, yeah. I can get lighter, addicted to the breakthroughs. Right. But why not just learn how to enjoy life? Exactly. I really, the biggest breakthrough for me. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't have to be perfect. And 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 then then I want to constantly. And I wanted to ask you one more question and we can definitely take this out if it might tarnish your image, but you talked about being a shaman and energy work. How much do you think a lot of the sexual abuse and toxic empath stuff comes from incubus or entity attachments or things like that? Like, do you go into that with your clients? Cause I, I think our listeners are very do. open to that. Yeah, I absolutely do. I actually work with my coach, but actually he came to me. We came to each other. It was really beautiful um, because he had an entity abuse. He talked very openly about uh, sexual abuse when he was four. And we removed that entity and we work with that. I've seen Angel since I was two. At least that's the first time that my mom said that I ran to the front of the church and I like saw angels. I have a very close relationship with Christ. Jesus appeared to me when I was 13 after an event and told me a sexual event and told me to go home and tell. And that's when this whole healing and everything began. I believe that this entire treatment plans, everything that I do is is straight from source, not like I'm a vessel. (laughs) I'm just a vessel. For me, shamanism and what I've learned means we move energy and, and we're alchemists. And so I'm not like a trained shaman. If anything, I am a trained soul healer, sozo, prayer warrior. Like that's that's my line of of study. But working with the subtle body, Reiki, all of those things are very much a part of what I do each morning on TikTok and what I do in my practice. But I mix it with the mental, with the PhD, with the psychology, with the emotional intelligence and the kinesiology that I've studied with the diet nutrition and 25 years of yoga that I've taught 
with the spiritual awareness, electromagnetic field, and us being co-creators of our reality and ending cycles of abuse and ending martyrism, because that's my soul's mission here to do to whatever extent that universe allows me to impact the world. Gateway University is about higher thinking and um, and they have a ministry program and, and all of that. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Alicia. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Alicia. It was great. Yeah. Thank you guys. That was so fun. It was beautiful. I appreciate your guidance. Yeah. And thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate you. And I hope that I see you on the inside at LishaAntica.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. You can reach her at lishaantica.com. That's L-I-S-H-A-A-N-T-I-Q-U-A.com. And remember to use the code TSF2023 as a code to get your first month free on her daily inspirations for healing. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.